Welcome to Mental Health in Minnesota, produced by NAMI Minnesota, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the lives of children and adults with mental illnesses and their families. Visit NAMI Minnesota online at namimn.org. My name is Brian Jost. I'll be your host for this episode. I'm a former NAMI Minnesota staff member, and I live with bipolar disorder. In this episode, I have a conversation with Keely Heron, who shares her experience of going through DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, and continuing to use DBT skills to help maintain her mental health. Keely is a strategist, marketing communications specialist, and mental health speaker. She lost her father to suicide in 1999 and has contributed to mental health awareness by sharing her personal recovery story through various platforms such as the NAMI In Her Own Voice program and the NAMI Minnesota Speakers Bureau. She also presented a TEDx talk titled Leaving the Cult of Happiness, given at TEDx Jackson Hole in 2017, which has been viewed over 525,000 times as of the publication of this episode in late June 2020. Keeley is available for speaking engagements on her personal experience with mental illness, complex PTSD, suicide, sexual violence, trauma, and invisible disabilities. You can learn more about Keeley and connect with her through her website, keeleyheron.com, K-E-E-L-Y-H-E-R-R-O-N.com. You'll find links to her TEDx talk there, as well as info about a radio show and podcast she co-hosts with Pat Wright titled Opera for Everyone, which makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. And now here's our conversation, which was recorded on May 6th, 2020. Thanks, Keely, for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Keely, can you give listeners a little background about yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I was uh, born in Minnesota and grew up in Minnesota and went to uh, college at the University of Minnesota. And I worked here for a little bit. Um, uh, And my my father died by suicide when I was uh, 24. Um, so I stayed in Minnesota for a few more years um, working in advertising and marketing. And then I eventually moved out to New York and worked in New York uh, advertising agencies for about seven years um, before I went back to school and got an MBA overseas in Barcelona. Um, and eventually moved back to the States and ended up in Jackson Hole by <laughs> a, a strange set of circumstances. But I, I lived there um, for about five years and then recently moved back to the Twin Cities to be closer to my family. Um, so my entire career has been in advertising and marketing. Um, and then my passion for mental health advocacy really began you know, when I lost my dad to suicide in 1999. Um, and so I've worked on and off in various capacities, um, to promote, uh, mental health equity and reduce the stigma around mental illness. And I would say that really took a big, uh, leap forward when I did a TEDx talk in Jackson in 2017. And since then I've focused a lot more on, um, publicly speaking about my personal experience with mental illness um, 
in the hopes of reducing the stigma around uh, mental illness. So on our topics of CBT and DBT, uh, cognitive behavior therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy, uh, can you share a little bit about your experience with those therapies? Mm -hmm. I um, saw a counselor for the first time when I was probably 13. Uh, So this is in the mid to late 80s. And um, and I think, you know, the, the main approach then was cognitive behavioral therapy. And I continued on and off with um, some variation of cognitive behavioral therapy until I would say 2012, 2013, um, 2014, 2014, actually. So I, I started, um, I started doing DBT in 2014 and, um, it was, a life changer for me because it was very skills based. Um, and there wasn't a big emphasis on talking about, um, the past or, uh, what had happened, but it focused rather on what I could do in the present to help manage difficult emotions. And for me, that very practical skills based approach was, really, really helpful and very effective in terms of moving away from shame or blame, shame that I couldn't manage my emotions or, you know, blaming myself or other people um, for having those emotions in the first place and just shifted my focus to really what can I do to help myself right now. And do you recall how you got into DBT. Was it something you pursued or did some did a therapist recommend that? Do you remember how that all happened? I remember exactly how it happened. I have a very good friend who had gone through uh, a couple rounds of DBT um, herself and had told me about it from the very beginning, um, how effective it was for her. And um, When I moved, I moved out of um, the state of Minnesota to a small town in northwestern Wyoming. And, um, you know, thankfully, the wait list was non-existent to get into a DBT program. So um, once I moved there, I went to the community counseling center, met with a counselor, had an intake evaluation, was assigned to an individual counselor, and then um, was able to meet with a DBT group within a month or two, I think. Um, So it was very much a recommendation from a friend and her personal experience saying that it was very effective. And then just very lucky that I happened to be living in a place where it was easy to get in. Oh, that's great. So it was about a a month after you started trying to get in to when you actually did start? Is that what you mean? A month? Or was it? Yeah. Okay. And then how long was it between when your friend recommended it and then the move and the start? Was that a longer period or was that? That, that, Yes, that was a longer period. We, um, I think she had started doing DBT in 2012. um, And then I started in 2014 in probably March or April of 2014. Um, And so we had talked about it and I had not necessarily pursued it but um, I know from her experience 
um, you know, that it is, it's challenging to get in. There's the, you know, resources are an issue um, and the demand is very high. Um, and so, you know, getting into a program and having the right insurance and finding a program that's drivable, you know, within a, a reasonable distance, because the one of the great things about DBT, but also one of the challenging things is you go to counseling in person twice a week for 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 myself and for her as well. Um, so you meet individually with your own counselor one on one and then you go to the group um, once a week. And it is a it's a significant commitment Um and for me, that consistent, you know, one-on-one and then group on an ongoing basis um, was really the consistency and the um, just the constant reminder of how I was working on developing new skills. And it was incredibly helpful. But I was also living in a really small town. And I think if I had been in a large metro area, it may have been more challenging just with driving distances and working and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Wow. Through your friend sharing her experience with DBT, um, which led to you going, did you believe in it before you started or did you need some time with it? I believed in it from the, from the beginning. Um, my friend that recommended it, um, is a very close friend. So I know all about her, uh, you know, challenges with mental health. And uh, she and I think a lot alike. We're both very analytical um, and also, you know, educated and interested in learning about, you know, new things. And so, you know, I, I was a very motivated student and very interested in learning ways of of coping and and dealing and so open to doing research and hard work um and also I had been you know working on this for at that point you know I don't know 20 some years like a long time yeah yeah. um and you know having tried a lot of different modalities and I mean I joke that if you told me that um you know, rubbing cow manure on my chest every night before I go to bed would help. I I mean, I would give it a shot. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, people who deal with ongoing sort of chronic depression, chronic anxiety, um, for me, it's a, um, you know, like post-traumatic stress disorder, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Anytime you're dealing with trauma, um, I also say like the past is not always in the past. Because mm-hmm. if you get triggered, it's like right now, um, and so you know the the stress of um, just daily life sometimes can be pretty significant. And then you know I had been working in a fairly uh, stressful industry. I worked in advertising and marketing um, in in New York. Um, you know, so there's a lot of pressure, and when you're dealing with a, a diagnosis, or maybe you don't even really necessarily know what your diagnosis is, um, and you lack a framework to manage the emotions, it's very difficult. And so, as she talked about her experience with DBT and said that it was, you know, she used the words like life changing and game changer for her as well, I knew that it was something different because she had also been down a long road of trying a lot of different things, both, 
um, traditional Western therapies as well as Eastern therapies or new age therapies and, um, uh, as well as, um, you know, pharmaceutical interventions and had, you know, limited success with accommodation and was still searching. And I think it was for her and then subsequently for me, um, DBT that just really shifted things and, and put it in a new perspective. Well, that's great. It's great that you had her to share with you what what worked for her. Yes, definitely. Um, Do you feel like you went through any obstacles with DBT, learning the skills? I think for me, the biggest obstacle is habits, changing deeply entrenched habits. Um... You know, and that's, that's, in my experience, that's why the consistency of the weekly meetings is so helpful and so important Um, because you're, you're shifting and changing the way that you respond to things in real time. And so really the biggest obstacle is, um, and I'll just use, you know, the word trigger when I get triggered I have to learn to implement a new way of dealing with that trigger. Um, and so if you're talking about a fight or flight response where your emotional brain completely overrides your rational brain, it's really challenging to take a step back, pause, and say, how am I going to respond to this? rather than how am I just going to react um, and in a way that will be, you know, not incredibly effective. It may hurt the other person's feelings. It may hurt my feelings more. It may send me further into an ineffective old pattern of coping. Um, and so I'd say that, you know, habits, old habits are, are the biggest obstacle as you're moving forward with DBT. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just had me realizing that we didn't talk a lot about um, what you were struggling with before you started DBT in, in specifics. I mean, you, you talked about difficult emotions and shame and, and blame. And um, maybe I should we should touch on this a little bit. Um, and listeners, I hope listeners will check out your TEDx talk, the TEDx Jackson Hole. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. It's titled Leaving the Cult of Happiness. Is that correct? Yeah. And, yes, and that's I feel correct. like there's some answer to my question there. But what, what were you struggling with before you started DBT in whatever way you want to share? Well, um, I did it. I did a TEDx talk in Jackson Hole, which is where I was living in 2017. And, um, you know, once you decide to get up on a stage in front of 500 people in the entire internet and talk about your deepest, darkest secrets, um, it becomes a lot easier to talk about those things. (laughs) Um, And I should say that by the time I did that talk, I had been in DBT for uh, almost three years. Um, I did several rounds of it, um, and I would, 
I, I am not exaggerating to say that had it not been for DBT, I don't believe that there is any way I could have gotten on a stage and talked about my history with childhood sexual abuse and rape and my own sort of mental health struggles, as well as my father's death by suicide. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot to just kind of land yeah. on, on, on a person. And, um, you know, whether you're talking to someone, you know, really well, or someone that you don't know very well, disclosing those kinds of things is, um, generally not incredibly easy for the other person to hear. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because I've worked so hard on, um, on, on all, all of that, you know, um, and DBT was a big part of that, you know, I really do feel like I'm able to have those conversations, you know, hopefully in a way that makes it easier for other people to have those conversations because I do think that it's incredibly important that people who are struggling do not feel alone um, and that they are able to talk about what they're what they're experiencing um, and that the people who are listening to them are able to listen in a way that is compassionate and non-judgmental and that they're not trying to fix them that they're just simply listening and bearing witness to the suffering. Um, and so a lot of my mental health advocacy is in the hopes that telling my story will reduce the stigma of mental health struggles and give both people who are struggling with mental health as well as the people who love them or work with them or are friends with them to give them some tools and just ways of being able to be a more compassionate, uh, non-judgmental listener. Yeah. And, and I really hope listeners check out your TEDx talk cause, uh, it was incredible. I thought, um, so oh, thank you. Yeah. So leaving the cult of happiness was the title of that. I see that mm -hmm. you have a link, uh, to the TEDx talk on your website, which is keelyheron.com. K E E L Y H E R R O N dot com. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll try to put those in the show notes too. Um, you mentioned going through several rounds of DBT. Um, did you, uh, if, as far as I'm understanding, a normal length is about six months to go through all the skills? Does that sound right to you for one time? Or um, did you experience something different? Yeah, I'd have to go back and look at my calendar, but. Um yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's there's four modules to DBT, um, mindfulness, um, emotion regulation, distress tolerance, and interpersonal effectiveness. And the way that the courses that I took were structured was that they would always begin with mindfulness, which is the core of DBT. And then in each individual session, you know, each individual uh, course grouping, whatever, each individual course, um, we would focus on one of those other three modules. So a, a full round of DBT is, is three full courses. So you would okay. do interpersonal effectiveness and then um, emotion regulation and distress tolerance. It doesn't ne necessarily matter um, 
in the course that I took, it didn't matter which order you did those in. Okay. Um, but so it would be mindfulness and then interpersonal effectiveness and then mindfulness and then emotion regulation and mindfulness and distress tolerance. So, um, I think it, it depends on, you know, the way each course is structured, but yeah, it's, it's a commitment to go through an entire cycle. Um, and you know, I joked with, um, my counselors that I was just like a frequent flyer. Like I was just going <laughs> to keep coming, um, until they wouldn't let me come back anymore. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was just, it's a practice, you know, it's, a, it's like if you are playing tennis or golf or baseball or yoga or whatever, anything, it's like, you've got to put in the work, you've got to practice and you've got to get good at those skills. And because I had really struggled for so long, by the time I found DBT, I was like, you know, you're never getting me out of here. I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. I'm going to keep coming back. It was just, it was a very, very helpful exercise for me. And so when you say you went through several rounds of DBT, does that mean completing it all and then just kind of going back and, and doing more of it? Is that what? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and how long, like from the beginning, how long did it take for you to feel like you were getting something from it? Like there was something effective happening? Uh, immediately. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot to it. It's definitely mm -hmm. not like a straightforward, you know, one plus one equals two. It's like, there's, there's just a lot, there's a lot to learn and there's a lot of skills and there's acronyms, you know, like dear man is in the interpersonal effectiveness module. And that, and that stands for, uh, describe, express, assert, reinforce, um, remain mindful, um, be assertive and negotiate. And so it's just, you know, it, it, it's not talking about your feelings. You're going through these modules and you are learning life skills that, um, I mean, I've said over and over, I think every single fourth grader in the country should, should learn DBT. It's just, it's that useful and that straightforward. Um, and, you know, a nine-year-old can learn how to do these things. Um, and it's, I don't yeah, know, I'm yeah. just, I'm so grateful I found it. Hmm. Can you th think of a real example how, of how something you learned through DBT transferred to your life? Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the most um, significant instances that just sticks out in my head um, was I had, um, I was living in Jackson and I had started a new job, um, and, um, I, you know, I, new jobs are always stressful. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I didn't have a great connection with my, my supervisor, the person that I was reporting to the, the, my boss. Um, and we went to a, um, a breakfast a big breakfast meeting, you know, shortly after I had started. And, you know, based on my previous experience working um, in advertising, you know, when I would start a new job or when I would hire a new employee, I would have, um, you know, I would introduce that person around to people and I would make that person feel included. And I would make a special effort to make sure that everybody knew that this person was new and that what this person was going to be doing. And, um, the person that I was reporting to, you know, that was not the approach, um, 
that he took. And so we went to this breakfast meeting and um, there, there were just a couple of things that happened that morning um, that really triggered me. I, uh, he didn't introduce me to anybody. He went off and did his own thing at the you know tables when we were sitting down um, to have breakfast and for the program to get started. He didn't save me a seat. He didn't invite me to sit with him. He didn't introduce me to anybody. I was basically left to just fend for myself in this big room and feeling very, you know, uncertain about my role and what I should be doing. And the behavior that I was witnessing was nothing in the realm of behavior that I had ever experienced before when starting a new job. Um, and it just was a very challenging situation for me emotionally. Um, and I got incredibly triggered and just all the feelings of worthlessness and shame and, you know, I'm not smart enough or I did this wrong or he doesn't want to introduce me to people because, I mean, you know, just like all of these emotion, emotion mind in the world, in the world of DBT, emotion mind just took over and I got incredibly, like my heart was racing. I was flushed. I would, my thoughts were racing. I, and I started to get really, really, um, emotionally unstable. I thought I was going to cry. I, you know, just hmm. very challenging, but I had to stay at this meeting because, you know, I couldn't just walk out. And so what I did was I just went to my, uh, distress tolerance skills, which is like taking deep breaths, noticing, um, physical things around me, um, using a scent. So I had a, a scented a hand lotion in my bag. I pulled that out. I put the hand lotion on. I, I took deep breaths, smelling the, the lavender, which is very calming. I, um, I noticed the shapes of the food on my plate. I, um, just things like that. I, I looked at the textures and just really zoned in. I mean, I didn't get much accomplished at the meeting and I can't tell you really what was said, but it was a victory. It was a total and complete victory yeah. for me because I was able to tolerate that incredibly difficult emotion. I didn't cry. I didn't leave. I didn't, uh, you know, blow up at my boss or have some kind of, you know, negative impact on the relationship. Um, I stayed in the room. Nobody else noticed. And I was able to use those skills to just get through that feeling. Um, you know, and once, and then I talked about it with my, my individual one-on-one -on -one counselor after that. And she was like, well, that's pretty, you know, like good job. Pats on the back. That's yeah. that's good. And so once you have that kind of experience where you're like in that moment and even telling it now, it sounds so ridiculous. But no. in that moment, I was flipping out. Yeah, I believe I did. I don't think it sounds ridiculous at all. Um, well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was just I was losing my grip mm -hmm. um, and I was totally 100 percent in emotion mind. Um, and had, and that was shortly after, you know, that was maybe six months okay. after starting DBT, maybe a little bit longer. Okay. So, you know, it, that was a big, big, 
big shift, a big win. Cool, cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the coronavirus and COVID-19, the pandemic, and we're recording. Today is May 6th, 2020, so everyone's been dealing with the stay-at-home orders and, and everything that's been going on. And ha- do you find yourself using DBT skills to stay well, or w- what else are you doing um, to keep yourself healthier in, in this time? What would you like to share about that? Well, I think one of the main things that I learned doing DBT, well, I learned a lot, so I can't even say the main, but, you know, one of the core uh, units is, um, you know, emotion regulation. And a big part of emotion regulation is just the basics, you know, so get enough sleep, get enough exercise, eat the right things, take care of yourself, have a routine, um, And, you know, I think having a routine and and being disciplined about taking care of the basics is hard for a lot of people. It's not, you know, I mean, it comes easily to some people, um, which I admire those people. Um, (laughs) But, you know, being disciplined and having a routine, it's it's not sexy. It's not fun. You know, like I'm going to go to bed at 10 o'clock every night or I'm going to have a a wind-down routine that involves drinking hot tea or eating some crackers or, you know, and then washing my face and brushing my teeth and doing a little meditation and getting into bed and not having my screens, um, you know, and, and going to bed at roughly the same time and getting up at roughly the same time and doing the same thing. Um, I think, you know, that in and of itself just having a routine that you really do try to stick to is, is an incredibly powerful way to take care of yourself. And it's not just the physical aspect of that, of what that does for you physically, but I think the, um, self care aspect of that. And like, I am doing this for myself because I love myself and, I want to have a long, healthy, happy life. So I am going to make choices that are good for me, even if I would much rather binge watch The Crown until three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Um, so it's it's the super basic emotion regulation stuff, setting the groundwork, setting a strong foundation for being physically and mentally and emotionally healthy. Um, And then I think, you know, the other core foundation for me is um, I take an SSRI every day. Mm -hmm. I I have gone through phases in my life where I did not like taking an SSRI every day and really kind of actively fought it. Um, And then I've gone through phases where I like tried to taper off and live without it. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that I'm going to take a an antidepressant every day for the rest of my life until I die. Um, cause maybe that will shift and maybe that will change. But at the moment I am deeply committed to taking my medication every single day. Um, and so, you know, that layered on top of the basic routine of diet and exercise and sleep. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that I, uh, fought and and to to some extent still resist is um you know alcohol um in 
my 20s and early well not even early 30s 20s and 30s you know like I like to party yeah <laughs> um and I think a lot of people do and you know it wasn't like I was doing anything insane um but you know I mean alcohol does not help it doesn't contribute to great mental health no um so you know just uh, regulating the amount of alcohol that I'm having and really trying to limit it is important for me too in maintaining that level of mental health. So I think all of those are they're things that I try to do, um, you know, when we're not in a global pandemic, but then, you know, being in a global pandemic, um, I think, you know, in some ways I've, I've been training for this. <laughs> Yeah, I can completely relate. But for those people who maybe are struggling for the first time, you know, what what can we say to them? You know, I, I mean, I'm hoping that there's a big message of this is all okay to talk about and and it's okay to seek out help. And um, I don't know what 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 would you say to someone who's maybe having a mental health struggle for the first time. Well, when I do the talks for the In Our Own Voice program, when I go and do the Speakers Bureau talks, um, I talk a lot about what I what I had already been talking about, the basics, you know, sleep, exercise, eating healthy, have a routine, develop healthy habits. Um, you know, um, if DBT is something that you can uh, learn about and... Um, you know, even if you're not able to get into a program, I mean, Google is an amazing resource and just Googling DBT um, and learning about it. There are apps um, that um, you can put on your phone that you can learn about DBT and start um, implementing some, uh, you know, like self self coaching kind of stuff. Um, there are, uh, you know, looking for information on Facebook um, groups and stuff. There's, there's different types of groups, um, that I have found incredibly helpful. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is so important when you are faced with a, a mental health challenge is feeling alone. Yeah. Um, and, and feeling like, uh, you have no one to turn to and there's no one else who uh, is struggling the way you are and like that everybody else has their act together and you're just for some reason deficient because you can't manage it on your own and you know I that is just not true like we all suffer and so my message is always a about compassion and the root of compassion the latin root of compassion is co which is together and passion actually means suffering so the word compassion is that we suffer together and that my my suffering is not separate from your suffering and um so the idea that by reaching out and connecting with your family, with your friends, with a faith community, with nature, you know, how, whatever you can do to advocate for yourself and to create a connection with other 
people or things or a spirit, however you're able to do that, because I think mental illness flourishes in darkness and and loneliness. And we're hearing a lot about that too, about how loneliness is more harmful than smoking in terms of health outcomes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if there's, if there's one thing that, that I can do, um, is just encourage people to get help, you know, just ask for help. That's your job. If you're struggling, your job is to ask for help. And if the first person that you ask for help isn't able to help you, then ask another person for help. Um, and keep asking for help until you don't have to ask for help anymore. And and that's not an easy thing to do because, you know, like I said in the TEDx talk, it's like, you know, if you start talking about these things, people, they don't like it. A lot of people don't have the capacity to to bear witness to someone else's suffering yeah um i don't know you know i'm not an expert on why that is but i am an expert in trying to talk about uncomfortable things and having people go like okay gotta go i think good talk so yeah yeah i wonder sometimes if some of that could be it's bringing up something for themselves that they don't want to face sometimes i don't know if that's possible yeah I, I, it's, there's just a lot of it. I think, yeah, it, it brings up some things that, that they might be suffering with and not, you know, doing a very good job of addressing it. Or I think a lot of it is just that we have this idea that everything is good. Um, and we, our sense of security and stability and safety is built on this idea that things are inherently good. Um, and when people are struggling with, you know, serious mental illness diagnoses or emotional trauma, physical trauma, sexual trauma, um, it, it breaks that illusion that everything's good. And if I'm breaking that illusion for you, um, then your psychological safety is at risk. Yeah, that perhaps. makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. Um, is there anything that's on your mind that you're hoping to share that we didn't talk about? Um, well, the one thing that I do talk about occasionally and and don't necessarily lean on a ton is um, my uh, Buddhist practice. I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. You can share, yeah. Um, so one thing that I found incredibly helpful... Um, I think starting in, you know, even 2000, um, in the early 2000s, as I started doing yoga. Um, and through that, I started exploring meditation. And through that, I started exploring Buddhism. Um, and, you know, these days I, I do identify as Buddhist. Um, you know, Buddhism is a non-theistic religion, so there's no God in it. And it's really not necessarily even a religion as much as it is sort of a, a spiritual practice and um, a philosophy. And so for me, you know, mindfulness is the core of DBT um, and mindfulness and meditation and, and Buddhism are very closely aligned. And so for me, 
um, being a part of a Buddhist community um, where I have a structure around my meditation practice um, has been really, really helpful. And again, I would say, going back to what I said earlier about connection being really important, um, I think if you, if, if an individual has a motivation to become a part of a faith community or a spiritual community or some sort of meditation community or, or anything really, even if it's like a gym that you really like going to, that you like everybody there, some type of community that's focused on advocating health and whether that's mental health or physical health or spiritual health, um, having other people who are pursuing that, um, you know, and I think that's, if you look at the 12 step programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, um, Gambling Anonymous, it's all about that connection. Um, and I think for me, making those connections is critical. Yeah. And, um, you know, having people who are working toward the same goal um, is is really, really helpful. And so I guess to bring it full circle, it's like that's why DBT was helpful because you're in a class with, you know, 10 to 15 to 20 other people that are doing the same thing and they are coming up against the same struggles you are. And um, we can lean on each other and those connections are just so important, I think, in advocating um, and, and getting better at helping yourself get better. Well, thank you so much, Keely, for sharing all of this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm happy to be a part of it and I'm so proud to be part of the community at NAMI Minnesota. I really appreciate everything that NAMI Minnesota does and um, I just can't say enough good things about it. Yeah, well, thanks for all you're doing. My pleasure. For more information about this episode, please check the podcast show notes. For additional resources, visit NAMI Minnesota online at namimn.org. You've been listening to Mental Health in Minnesota, produced by NAMI Minnesota.